Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by Rachel Amory and Derek Healy to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, compiled and read for us by Morag Lindsay. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has been accused of leaving a void at the top of the country's biggest police force after Dame Cressida Dick was dramatically forced out as Metropolitan Police Commissioner. Dame Cressida quit on Thursday after losing the support of Mr Khan over her plan to reform the force following a string of scandals and accusations of a toxic working culture. The UK economy soared by record levels in 2021 as gross domestic product rebounded by 7.5%. Official figures show growth was the fastest since records began in 1948, but it follows a record 9.4% slump in the economy in 2020. It was confirmed as Foreign Secretary Liz Truss met her Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Moscow to seek a solution to troops massing on the Ukrainian border. Thanks, Morag. It's been a busy week for our parliamentarians as they race through the to-do pile before recess begins. Obviously, it's been shot through with yet more revelations of Boris Johnson's behaviour at the helm. We've seen Minister for the 19th century Jacob Rees-Mogg demoted to a made-up ministerial post. He's been charged with finding Brexit opportunities just six years after the UK collectively agreed to enter this interesting live experiment. And we've continued to get our heads around the rapid lifting of COVID measures while the virus sits at near record highs. In Planet Holyrood, we've veered from the very real cost of living crisis to the very hypothetical future of pensions in an independent Scotland. And Finance Secretary Kate Forbes has been counting up the numbers to see if there's any cash for hard-pressed households while also announcing some rather lovely news about her own family. Let's start at the top, shall we? And, of course, it's about the economy. Oil and gas firms have been absolutely coining it in, while ordinary folk like me and you watch our bills go bananas. Labour have been among those calling for a windfall tax on oil and gas to make up that difference. So why don't we start with Scottish Labour leader Anas Sarwar, mostly because I can't remember the numbers off my head, but here he is, putting the First Minister on the spot, and asking Nicola Sturgeon what she's going to do about it. Presenting officer, we are in the midst of a cost of living crisis. At the same time, energy giants are posting record profits. Shell, £14 billion profit this year. BP, £9.5 billion profits this year. Combined, that's over £44,000 a minute. At the same time, household energy bills are going up by almost £700. We need a windfall tax on energy companies with the money going into people's pockets. And it's unbelievable the SNP and Tory MPs refuse to back it. But they're also failing in this parliament. This SNP government has known that this crisis is coming. But despite months of pleading for action, why are people still waiting for help? First Minister. Firstly, this is uh, quite an incredible line of questioning uh, by Anas Sarwar. It's a serious line of questioning, and I'll come on to the very serious point about the cost of living crisis in a second. Um, he asked me about uh, a windfall levy on oil and gas companies last week. I made clear I have no objection to that. I said again yesterday, I do think companies seeing rising profits uh, should make more of a contribution, and it is for the UK government to come forward, I, I think, with proposals on that, but he's asking me about something uh, that, regrettably, I have no power to do. So perhaps rather than Anna Sarwar asking me about things I, I lack the power to do, he should join with me in seeking these powers for this Parliament so that we can actually do these things as opposed to just talk about them. 
That was Nicola Sturgeon uh, responding to the Labour leader in Parliament on Thursday, um, talking about the the cost of living crisis and how a windfall tax might be used on profits. Um, Rachel, we've been looking at the the arguments for and against windfall taxes. Um, Fair to say that it's it's, uh, not something that the UK government is is particularly keen on, and it's, it's also not really a straightforward story among the SNP uh, politicians either, particularly in the northeast where oil and gas pays the bills. So what, what, what can you can you shed any light really on what this means sort of politically? Is it something that is realistically going to happen or is it just dead in the water? It could very well be dead in the water just because of the divide it's sort of causing between the parties. So like you said, Labour are kind of leading the calls for this to be introduced. We've had Anna Sarwar, we've had um, Ed Miliband as well calling for this. Um, The Lib Dems have also sort of joined Labour in these calls as well. Um, But yeah, like you said, the Conservatives, they're not in favour of this. Um, The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, he says a windfall tax on these companies would actually deter investment and he says that investment's actually needed in the North Sea oil and gas industry to help boost the economy. So he's sort of the one that's holding the purse strings and the one with the final decision there. So he doesn't seem very keen. And also North East Tory MPs, you've got David Duke and Andrew Bowie, they've both written to the SNP, again, sort of reiterating that a windfall tax like this would be dangerous in industry wrecking, which is quite... Um, that's quite a, a statement to be making there. Hmm. And like you said, when it comes to the SNP, it's a bit more of a tricky one. Um, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, you heard, you heard her there talking about it, and she's previously said she's not opposed to a windfall tax. Um, the Energy Secretary, Michael Matheson's also said things like this. On that point, you know, they're not ideologically opposed, but um, they always go on to say, but, and sort yeah. of ball back in the court um, at Westminster. There is always a but, isn't there? Aye. So, I mean, is that just kind of holding out so it's not it's nothing to do with us we don't have the responsibility it's up to the uk government to deal with the the cost of living crisis so what what can the scottish government do well this is it what, what is it they can do um nicola sturgeon you heard her there in the clip saying very much that there isn't much she can and it's very much about calling on the uk government to do these things and calling again using it as a as a way to campaign for independence as well so there's been Windfall tax in the in the past, the the Labour government of nineteen ninety seven, Gordon Brown, he 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 used this, um, but it's 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 often talked about windfalls on huge companies making a lot of money, particularly during the pandemic. I mean, big business like even from Amazon, it's not just oil and gas; it's huge um, corporations as well making making lots of money at a pretty difficult time for for the lion's share of everybody else. Um, I think the SNP previously done things, you know, like the large retail tax, you know, to try and get a bit more money from from people with broader shoulders. But um, the, the devolved rules don't really don't really allow for anything particularly in this field. It would be you know HMRC that has to do you know stuff like that. So what what has the Scottish government been pursuing? What what is it that's coming down the line? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Kate Forbes and the budget in a minute, but um, other than just pointing it back to to the UK government, it, what, what has Nicola Sturgeon said that she she might pursue? Attention focused in Holyrood about what um, the, the domestic rules are and how we can you know tackle the cost of living crisis. And one of these ways is to use money that has come via the UK government and uh, see if they can knock that off council tax bills. 
the budget was uh, passed in Hollywood on Thursday. Um, Kate Forbes explained how she plans to take the edge off. In terms of going further to help uh, councils have as much discretion, I'm also announcing today that I will allow any existing underspent discretionary housing payment funding to be redistributed between councils and carried forward next year to allow them to provide targeted discretionary support. And I'll also allow any existing underspend of the Scottish Welfare Fund to be carried over by local authorities for the same purpose. But finally, I want to say honestly and openly that this is not enough. Households across Scotland, across the UK, are struggling with the wide range of rising costs. And many of the macro levers, for example, around energy regulation, reside with the UK government. And so in that spirit, I'll be writing to the Chief Secretary, to the Treasury, again highlighting that we do need to work together urgently to use our joint powers to do more to tackle the cost of living. And I hope that this chamber can unite in that bid. They are cash for council taxpayers, but um, tax rises are also probably coming down the line for council taxpayers as well. So, Derek, is this a sort of slight hand? Is it enough? Does it touch the edges? How, how does this going to work out? Well, I think um, the kind of common view is that it's, it's not really going to touch the edges at all. Um, it's not going to be anywhere near enough. We heard that nearly two million households across Scotland will receive £150 and a council tax rebate in April. Um, council will have a choice. You can either deliver that as a direct payment to people or as a credit to council tax accounts. But as we heard there from Kate Forbes, you know, she said herself, this won't be enough for many families. Um, we reported previously that the that Scottish councils will be given complete flexibility to set council tax rates, ending a previous freeze on rises. Um, the Scottish Government's committed an extra £120 million to councils, but they face a real terms cut of £251 million. And that means many of them are going to have you know, very difficult choices to make on providing public services. The Joseph Rowntree Foundation and Poverty Alliance came out in response to this budget announcement, saying that more should have been targeted to low-income households. They argue that while many people living in poverty will receive this small payment, this £150, many more who are not in poverty will also receive that money. Um, so I think the criticism has been, well, you know, there's, there's no perfect solution to this situation. I mean, it's a terrible situation to be in right across the country. But this solution put forward by Kate Forbes itself hasn't been good enough. I think that's what those poverty charities are saying. Um, so no, I think for, for many people, it, it won't be anywhere near enough. Yeah, the wee anomalies will start to come out. People who might be in a band E mm-hmm. um, house that's got single glazing and and you know the heating's on constantly around the clock. You know the, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you can start to see people saying, "Well, what about me? What about me?" And and you know they've all got very good, very good points. And Kate Forbes tried to make um, uh, justify the way the sort of blunt the blunt way it's been done the, just this morning. I think where she was saying that she really just needed to find the quickest, fast, you know, a fast way to get cash back into people's um, bank accounts, basically. But yeah, I mean, it goes without saying that £150, while earlier, you know, last week we were talking about, you know, electricity or, uh, sorry, gas bills and things like that going up by, well, just a shocking price price, price rises, then um, yeah, we're going to have to have a tough year ahead, I think, for for many looking at their bank accounts. Um, anyway, it's, 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 not, it's not just been about the here and now. We've been uh, talking about finances in a in a parallel universe as well this this week the the, the universe where a referendum is called and um, we, we're straight back into independence and we have to think about well how how the bills get paid 
with Scotland away from the rest of the UK. So um, it's a nice comfort zone of Scottish politics, the big national naval gazing pursuit of um, post-independence policy. So, I mean, this time we were looking at pension payments. Uh, it just sort of erupted out of nowhere. I mean, there's there's no particular reason why this should have come up. Um, so why on earth did uh, Scottish politics turn in on itself in such a, a novel way again? It's a bit like being back in kind of maybe 2012, 2013, wasn't it? It was pretty bizarre to see all these arg- same arguments being dredged up again. Yeah. Um, it actually started with comments made by the SNP's Westminster leader, Ian Blackford. Um, so Mr Blackford claimed that Scots workers would have a right to receive a UK state pension after years of paying national insurance contributions to the Treasury. And he pointed to the example of pensioners who choose to retire abroad but can still claim their basic UK pension as evidence of this. Now, importantly, he said that Scots have a right to receive a pension um, because they've paid in through national insurance contributions. And those views appear to have been backed up um, both by Kate Forbes and at one stage, Nicola Sturgeon. But there are a pretty big shift from the SNP's position in 2014 where the white paper set out that for those receiving a UK state pension at the time of independence, the responsibility for paying it would transfer to the Scottish Government. And on the other side, we saw the UK Pensions Minister say that if Scotland chooses to become, in his words, a foreign country, then you know working English, Welsh and Northern Irish taxpayers shouldn't have to pay for a foreign country's pensions liabilities. He claims that's been the settled position of the UK government since 2014. Uh, but frankly, you know, he's, I, I think he's wrong, to be honest. Um, the UK government's position ahead of the 2014 referendum was that the governments of Scotland and the UK would need to apportion responsibility um, for UK state pension rights built up before independence. Mm. Yeah. And all of this comes down in the huge sort of messy heading of things that would have to be worked out after as well. And, um, you know, there'll be lots of negotiation about where money comes from and what gets left with the UK, the the division of assets and all this kind of thing. And yeah, it's given me, it's given me flashbacks, Derek. But, um, you know, you you did a sterling job on the explaining this um, to the heart of thinking like me. Um, and you know that you can. I encourage anyone to go and check that out on our on our Courier and PNJ titles. Um, if you've got any more thoughts on what you might, well, I mean, most of us probably won't even see a pension worth talking about, really, or we'll have to work until we hit the grave. So it's all a bit moot, really. Um, but I think it's fascinating uh, how, how the framing of it's moved on because 10 years ago it was a pressing issue. We were staring at a real referendum with real implications and one of the big shifts since then has been the way conversations can slide quite quickly into almost like we're working out the post-independence policy, like it's a foregone conclusion um, or at least something that we'll have to get into another referendum. So, I mean, Rachel, I wonder, um, you've been thinking about this as well, what does it say about the sort of the UK government's or, or like pro-unions side's grip on the debate where it seems that the the ground we're all on is one where we're imagining that this is something that is going to happen. Well, I mean, is, is there something in that? Yeah, I mean, this hasn't actually been said. I know Nicola Sturgeon has said she wants an independence referendum by the end of 2023, which is just next year, remember. Um, so it's not actually that long away in in the big scale of things. Um, but yeah, we don't actually have a definite sort of 
plan as to what's happening. We don't have a date as to when this is going to happen. And yeah, I think certainly in terms of the UK government and pro-unionists, I'm not sure they're convinced it will happen. So yeah, it is very hypothetical at the moment, which makes it a little bit different this time round than last time, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. And um, I mean, I remember even during the referendum of 2014, there was lots of briefing going on about, well, the the UK government sort of side um, should stop pointing to, to these things, or at least ceding ground as if this is all going to happen. They were very careful about not entering a debate or starting a debate. Of course, the, the UK pensions minister went straight into it as well. I mean, Derek, you, you know, you, you were looking at that as well. Should they have just kept their thoughts to themselves and just let the SNP scrap it out? See, I think that's a really interesting question because I think even last year, I was speaking to sources who didn't want to comment on issues that might relate to Scottish independence because for exactly that reason, that it was almost a tacit admission that there will be a referendum. Um, so the kind of, the viewpoint was to just not comment on it, don't say anything, don't get involved in the debate. Um, and then, you know, it, it doesn't give this kind of idea that they're going to be one. Um, it's got quite messy, hasn't it, over the last two weeks with this pensions debate? It really does feel like being back in 2013. So maybe, it, I mean, it's hard to know whether it represents a kind of shift in position or if it's just that it was such a mess anyway that, you know, people felt the need to come in and kind of clarify clarify the situation or whether it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know whether it's the right thing to do or not. But I suppose we're going to see more of it. I mean, if there is going to be a referendum next year, which seems sort of difficult to imagine in a way, uh, but if there is going to be one, we're going to see more of these debates coming up, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and at least we know, at least it's a record that we've um, played before, so we can get right back where we left off. One of the old favourites. Yeah, greatest hits and pensions will be there. I saw as well, the, you know, this morning, the... Um, the, the other great hypothetical, which is European Union ascension. We've, we, we don't have the time or um, mental capacity to get into that, I think, today. But um, again, you know, we're talking about borders and trading agreements and whether we would be in the EU or not and how we would do it. It really does feel like it moved on to a point now where we're being asked to discuss and set out how we create, a, 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 you know, an independent Scottish state without really thinking about it. It's, it's, it's fascinating. We focused a lot on um, Scottish government and parliament today, and we've managed to get through pretty much the entire podcast without talking much about the UK government's um, internal problems and Boris Johnson and parties. More more evidence appeared um, in the pages of the press and on social media this week with uh, bottles of bubbly and um, you know what you and I would probably call a party. But it's not actually that that we're talking about today. It's uh, it was Boris Johnson's kind of clear out that he um, made everyone imagine that he planned the resignation of lots of different people, and he's got a new a new guy, a new guy helping them, you know, sort out all these embarrassing gaffes. Derek, we're going to return to an old favourite that we haven't gone to in a while, and that, of course, is the Stush of the Week. And you've got a nice little nomination for us. Well, I think this might be the first time ever. The stoosh of the week has been awarded to somebody in the first week of their new job. <laughs> so, Guto Harry, congratulations. Um, this Boris Johnson's new communications chief. Um, he started off his new tenure in the role by saying that Boris Johnson is not a complete clown, which was very nice of him. Uh, and then just over just yesterday, he had to delete a tweet 
endorsing, endorsing John Major's criticism of Boris Johnson. Um, so he deleted that tweet and changed his profile bit on Twitter to say that he's a number 10 communications director and he's not tweeting anymore. So, Guto Harry, congratulations. You are Stoosh of the Week. of the Week. Yeah, as well-deserved, well-deserved. But I tell you what, though, it's not just Stoosh of the Week that we can we can talk about today because um, I think it would be remiss not to talk about a, a Stoosh of the Year. Um, uh, and this is all for the right reasons. Um, so I just... Uh, Thanks to our wonderful listeners for, for keeping us entertained by, you know, making it seem that you want more of this kind of thing. I'm pleased to say we're referenced in in some very good company in a shortlisting for a nice little award coming up in April. So um, we're up against the BBC, New Statesman, all sorts of good stuff there. So a little, a little bit of um, back patting never goes amiss. So we'll see you back in April when we'll no doubt have, um, you know, scooped, scooped everything. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue with this uh, top quality stooshing. Um, anyway, that's, that's about it for this week. Thanks to Rachel Amory, Derek Keeley and producer Marvin McIntyre. And of course, to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. But until then, and even after then, pick up and log on to The Courier, Press and Journal and all our news brands so that you can be better briefed. Cheerio. The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson Media, bringing together political journalists and commentators from all over the country so that you can be better briefed. Teams at The Courier, The Press and Journal, The Evening Telegraph, Evening Express and The Sunday Post work hard day and night, online, in print and beyond, to bring you careful reporting and analysis designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, in Westminster and in our communities. So you don't miss an episode, follow The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know folk like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune into The Stushy or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. You can get a free month of unlimited access to The Courier or The Press and Journal too. Just go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe or pressandjournal.co.uk slash subscribe or follow the links in the episode notes to be better briefed. Check the episode notes for details and terms.